Okay, got it. Let me uh, start. Sorry. I'm going to start recording, Patrick, just uh, kick off whenever you want to, okay? All right, I'll, again, good. again I, don't, I don't feel 100%. Um, so You're I'll good. Just, I'll jump in, okay? Yeah. Uh, can you hear that? That buzzing? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, well, I can hear the bird. <laughs> oh, no, not the bird. He's I heard cool. a little bit of, that, of the buzzing, but it's... Yeah, I, I've been doing interviews outside to get away from the bird, and then, like, the lawn people showed up. And I was like, mother... <laughs> It's fine. It'll add character. It's Zoom. You know, it's, it's yeah. COVID culture right now. It's okay. Everybody understands. Yeah. All right. Recording to the cloud. And uh, Ready? you're live. Yep. All right. Let this guy like drive past really quick. That's annoying. Okay. What's up, Men's Health Un uh, Unscripted Nation? We have a very special interview for you today. We have Sam Wally. TGH nutritionist. Uh, she's going to talk about some of the important uh, points in nutrition that some things that just fly under the radar, uh, things that, you know, we might not really even know, just, uh, just a broad overview of nutrition, what it means to her, why it's so important. So let's kick it off. Uh, Sam, we're just going to cut right to the chase. What does a nutritionist do? Um, a lot of people, I think, don't know. Like, they think it's just somebody that tells you what to eat, I guess. It's probably a bare-bones definition. But what does it mean to you? Why should somebody use a nutritionist service? Um, and just define it, like, in your opinion overall. So, to start, a nutritionist isn't the same thing as a dietitian. So, a dietitian goes to, like, university for four years and gets a bachelor's degree in nutrition and dietetics. And then... To become a dietitian, you're then required to do a dietetic internship, which is like a minimum of 1,200 supervised practice hours. And that's in different settings. So like a clinical setting, a community setting, there's a food service one, there's different ones. But after those 1,200 hours are complete, you then have to sit for a national examination and you have to pass that in order to bear the dietitian credentials. A nutritionist on the other hand, anybody can, you know, set up an Instagram or set up a little shop and call themselves a nutritionist. They don't have credentials. So like a lot of the times you'll see like Instagram, like influencers who are calling themselves like a nutritionist or someone who has like gone on some weight loss journey and thinks they like understand nutrition, calling themselves a nutritionist. So there is a big difference between the two for sure. Okay. We might be adding um, nutritionists to our bio after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, cur I'm curious, uh, Samantha, does the dietitian, does that have state boundaries as well? So would it, if you're uh, re regulated in Florida, can you go to other states and work or does every state have their own exam? So once you become like a registered dietitian, you then have to become licensed by the state that you practice in. So for instance, I am a registered dietitian and I am licensed in Florida. I am not currently licensed in any other states, but with like telehealth becoming more of a thing, um, there's like a certification process you can do where you can do telehealth through like different states and not, ne not necessarily be in that state practicing. So it does vary from state to state. That's well. an interesting aspect. Yeah. All right. 
That's awesome. I, uh, I apologize if in your intro, I, uh, I botched your credentials. So if you want to, uh, if you want <laughs> okay. to just fire those off um, for anybody that might be wondering anything that you want to say, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I um, have a master's in public health and with a focus in nutrition and dietetics. And then I'm a registered dietitian and I'm a licensed dietitian. Wow. All right. That's a, that's a lot of school. It's a lot of school. I'm glad to be done. <laughs> We're living it right now. I'm, I'm, I can't. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you for that. I think that clears up a lot uh, for people who probably don't know the difference. And honestly, some of that stuff I didn't really know. So we like learning. A lot of people don't. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we learn um, every time. I feel like we do an interview on here, yeah. something new. And I think that's if we're learning. Hopefully, everybody else that's watching is learning. So. Yeah, so, absolutely. so with that, Samantha, is it uh, it's safe to assume that if someone is working in the hospital, uh, operating under your job description, they're always dietitians. The nutritionist is not a thing you see in clinical practice. A hundred percent, yeah. Hundred percent, okay. And there's different places you'll find dietitians too, like. So there's clinical dietitians and those are typically your dietitians that are working in your hospitals and like your long-term care facilities. But even in a clinical position, there's different subspecialties. So for instance, I'm a clinical dietitian, but I'm a neonatal clinical dietitian. So I specifically work in the neonatal intensive care unit. And what I do is very different from some, well, not very different, but significantly different from a dietitian who works in a clinical setting that works like in an adult ICU. Right. So there's variation there and then you'll find them, you know, in community settings. So like Feeding Tampa Bay, for instance, has dietitians that work to set up like their community programs and their food programs um, and managing those. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and then there's dietitians that work in like for big food service companies that make sure they're meeting all their government standards, make sure the food that they're putting out is safe. Um, and then you have your entrepreneurial dietitians that have their own private practice. So there's a lot they can do. We're kind of like spread out everywhere. It's very cool. That's so, a really powerful mission. Yeah. Oh yeah. As you know, like we, uh, we talk about diet and lifestyle on our show a lot and we try to give some good valid research on certain foods or certain, you know, lifestyle, um, things, I guess that might help prevent some issues guys face with men's health. And, um, We've talked a lot about obesity, and as Stephen knows, but how would somebody determine what a healthy weight is for them, and is there a way to calculate it themselves? I know there's BMI calculators um, on the internet. Sometimes that's accurate depending on how much muscle you have, but what would you say is a way for someone to determine a healthy weight and uh, so on and so forth? So... That's not necessarily like an easy question to answer. It's a loaded question because a healthy weight is going to differ from person to person. Um, so as a general statement, I can say like your healthy weight is when you are not restricting like any one sort of food. You're participating in like active joyful movement. Um, and you know, if you have chronic diseases, they're under control. So our bodies typically have this range called like a set point weight range of like where they feel comfortable. Um, so no matter what you do, your body's going to try to get you to that set point weight range and everybody's is different. So yes, there's equations to predict like 
what a healthy weight is for you or how much calories you should be taking a day. But the research shows us that those are only like within 1% of accuracy. So your body's a really good regulator at like knowing how many calories you, you need. Um, BMI per se isn't my favorite measure. Um, you kind of hit on it a little bit, Patrick. It doesn't take into account muscle mass, but also the BMI equation or like, you know, how there's like underweight, normal, overweight, obese. So the equation backing that was actually created by like a mathematician, um, a European mathematician who was interested in kind of figuring out what the ideal man was. So that doesn't take into account, you know, body diversity at all. Um, and also the ranges that are used were originally different numbers. They were basically changed so that they would be like easier to remember so that insurance companies could, you know, say this person is overweight or this person is obese and that puts them at a higher risk for this disease so that their like health insurance would go up, which we don't always, like the research isn't clear that our weight is always indicative of us developing chronic diseases. Okay, that's very interesting. I, I knew that there was probably some loopholes there. It was a little too easy just to punch in some numbers and be like, oh, you're healthy. Um, and yeah. I, like, I have a little bit of a history in you know, powerlifting and weightlifting and stuff back in the day. And you add a lot of muscle mass and it doesn't really, you might register as obese on the BMI, but you're really not, I mean, you're Pretty thick. I've been I've been clinically obese since I was like 15 years old. Whenever really? I go to the doctor, yeah. so I, I always realized what I like. What the hell is this thing measuring? And the more I got yeah. used to understanding it in pharmacy school, I was like, okay, this doesn't seem that accurate. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I know we. I don't know if they do they still use it for TPN calculation. I know you do a lot of that in the in the neonates, but yeah. So for TPN calculations. Um, we do, we don't necessarily use BMI, we use weight. Um, when adults do it, you know, they have to factor in like fluid overload, like different types of things. Um, for me, when I do it for the neonates, um, it's obviously different because they're really, really tiny, but basically yeah. it's just their weight use. It's not their BMI. And I'm just curious, uh, is that, is that a whole nother, I has to be right. A whole nother certification of being licensed to work with neonates and TPN with neonates? So there are specific credentials like state exams that further qualify you to work in those, those fields. Yes, you don't particularly need one um, to work in those fields, but typically your dietitians that you see in your ICUs have either like a lot of experience or they have like a master's degree or they're like working towards a special certification that goes towards, you know, that type of population. Okay. okay. And for our viewers out there, uh, TPN, when we refer to that is the parenteral nutrition. So your carbohydrates, proteins, fats that are being put into your system through mm -hmm. a route other than your mouth. So parenteral meaning uh, straight into the gut. And this is just so you get your nutrition on a daily requirement. So uh, definitely a lot of calculations going in, uh, going into that process. And we commend you for being one of the people brave enough to, uh, to make those calls and those decisions to help uh, neonates in that situation. Thanks. Yeah, I work closely with pharmacists every single day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we try to math good too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, right.
So when we talk about carbohydrates and fats, these, these are our, uh, macronutrients, as everyone knows. Can you give some insight into the difference between, uh, you know, for the common viewer, what's the difference between a macronutrient and a micronutrient? Uh, and what are some, you know, misconceptions people may have about these? Mm -hmm. So your macronutrients are going to be your carbohydrates, your fats, and your protein. Your body, as a general rule of thumb, like main energy sources, with carbs being your main, main energy source. And then your micronutrients are things like your vitamins and your minerals. And, um, you know, when, when we go through school, like there's full nutrition courses dedicated to like your macronutrients and your micronutrients and the metabolism of all of them. But basically, as a general rule of thumb, like I said, your macros give you energy amongst like they also provide vitamins and minerals. And then your um, vitamins and minerals, they all work together towards helping your cells function properly, helping your body perform like its daily things, if you will, in its most simplest form. Do you think uh, micro? I do you think micronutrients are overlooked in a person's diet? Do you think a lot of focus, especially on the common person when they're trying to gain weight, gain muscle, they're always focused on their macros and the micros may be overlooked, something like their simple vitamins and minerals? Yeah, they definitely, definitely take a little bit of a back burner, mm -hmm. but they're just as important. They all work together towards giving you, you know, your best version of health whatever that is for you yeah. so I would say they definitely take a back burner and you know like a lot of the times if you go to a doctor per se and they'll hit you with like oh you, uh, you need to lose weight or if you're looking to gain weight they'll always focus on those macronutrients but they don't ever talk about with you like the micronutrients so mm -hmm. but when you seek out like care or help from a dietitian we'll always include those as part of your overall picture that's good yeah that's really um that's really insightful i feel like a lot of that stuff kind of is misinformed and people, most people don't really know like the purpose of the macro versus the purpose of the micro so um what would you say that like you might commonly see in practice or something that maybe you're just a little more aware of um how would someone be able to determine if they're deficient in a macro or micro or is, is there some kind of so symptom uh for lack mm -hmm. of a term yeah so with your macronutrients if you're not getting enough of those basically that's indicative that you're not getting enough food throughout the day you're not giving your body enough energy so you're gonna feel tired you're gonna feel sluggish you're gonna feel like you know it's hard to concentrate hard to focus your sex drive might be low um, whereas your micronutrients are a little bit tricky because micronutrient deficiencies present in like different forms. Some of them, you know, will cause hair loss. Some of them will cause skin changes. Some of them will cause like dry mouth or a weird like pattern on your tongue. So those are really different and specific and it's not hard to get a micronutrient deficiency, but your body works really hard in regulating the levels of your vitamins and minerals. So it's less common than, you know, just not getting enough energy from your macronutrients type of thing. And while we're on, while we're on that subject, do you see a lot of, uh, or at least a fair share of the micronutrient toxicities? Do you see those mm -hmm. at all? So I don't, I personally have not seen toxicities of them um 
I mean, and then again, I will say where I work, I regulate those. So for like the neonates, for example, I know how much vitamins and how much minerals they're getting every day. Um, I worked in adult like clinical care briefly and I didn't see any macronutrient deficiencies, but I mean, micronutrient toxicities, it's common, especially if you're like, sorry, I don't know what she's doing back there. Okay, especially if you're awesome. like taking a bunch, <laughs> a bunch of different like vitamins um, and not having them checked by someone, it can be common. I've just never seen it. I think this is so interesting because just listening to what you deal with every day and like what you learned in school versus what we learned in school, it's such a team approach when you really start getting into the clinical aspect of diet, exercise, like you guys probably see so much more um, diet related uh, information versus we see the pharmacology and in our lectures, we might have two slides on diet and lifestyle and it says, usually they just say, how do you stop, you know, for the example, like the gout, like how do you stop that or prevent that? And it's like diet. And then they give you like a couple of things. And, and I know that there's in our research, there's so many more things that are important to, you know, regulating a disease state or controlling a disease state. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of yeah. jealous how you guys I get to focus on diet and we're, we're with medication. <laughs> Medication's a math the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do agree. It's, it makes all the difference when you take a team approach for things like health. I don't think you can come at health with one specialty and be like, this is it. This is going to solve it. I think it really takes like a bunch of diff different like interdisciplinary um, specialties. So I'm curious, while you were in school, did they, did they push that interdisciplinary approach? Because I know we do. We work with med students and nurses okay. and PT students. Um, we don't get much many dietitians, but did you guys have that exposure? So not as much as I would have hoped. Yeah. Um, I hope going forward, like the dietitians to come going through school, it's somewhat of a reform because we didn't really get that. I mean, when we go through our clinical practice supervised setting, you get that in a little bit because when you're in a hospital, you know, you have a bunch of different services who are working with the, that patient. But the problem is I don't necessarily think that all those people are communicating all the time, especially when, so I did my supervised practice at Tampa General too. So especially when like you're working at a big hospital, like getting all those teams on board is really hard. Um, I will say it's better in ICU setting um, because there's daily medical rounds, but in school, I didn't have as much as I wish I had. So how would somebody go about like maybe i guess you couldn't replace the uh, dietitian's knowledge but how would someone just like a regular person um, be able to determine um, what their macronutrient intake should be maybe what their micronutrient intake should be is there something that they can say maybe not maybe just kind of like a hard and fast you know quick may, i should eat this much this many calories or is it more so just follow the 2000 calories a day kind of thing and be done with it. So my view and from the research I've done, I don't say that anyone should 
prescribe to any like calorie number diet or like track their macros to a specific number. I more so am on the side of hunger cues, fullness cues, more so listening to your body, getting in tune with your body versus putting a number on something and feeling like you need to meet that number every single day. Um, and that can be difficult and it does take a lot of work. Um, you know, I wish I, it was easy for everyone to have a dietitian, but there's not a ton of us, but I would say hire a dietitian um, would be my best advice. I'm curious, you know, when we do these interviews and with someone, a uh, healthcare professional like yourself, we, we like to hear like, what, what got you involved? Like, why, like, what about being a dietitian drew you to it? And how long have you mm -hmm. been doing it? So originally when I um, started my bachelor's, I had the idea that I wanted to be a doctor. So I was on the pre-med path and I just ended up like not feeling a sense of passionate. I wanted something like a little bit more specific and more, more personalized, if you will. Um, so I went to, did my bachelor's at the University of New Hampshire. So I started looking at, okay, well, like what would be my options if I know I want to get into the medical field? And I like portions of the medical field, but it's not a hundred percent. Like, I feel like I don't love it. I'm not passionate about it. Sure. So then I kind of just stumbled upon nutrition and I started switching over my major, taking some classes. And then I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. So I went on the full path of, you know, doing the dietitian thing. Yeah. It's really fulfilling when you, you find that, that career path that, is something you're so passionate about so luckily it's something that's important and uh, a vital service a service for people and we just appreciate you sharing your knowledge on it because we know when it comes to fad diets or even just articles people are finding on google like there's like patrick said there's so much misinformation out there so to have someone with your clinical background especially working with neonates something so specific uh we just appreciate you sharing these minor nuances that people may be overlooking in their diet Thank you. I'm happy. Yep. Happy to share. I'm glad you yeah, that. Thank you. One of, our, so, one of our favorite yeah. topics is, is that of fiber. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you see that as something that people overlook in their diet? You know, how, we always, we've always heard 30 grams of fiber a day and that's the requirement. Do you, you know, does what you see in practice concur with that? Um, What's the perceptions of fiber where you're working with your patients and just in the practice? So fiber, like we kind of talked about at the beginning, um, it's a non-digestible carbohydrate. Uh, the DRI, which is like the dietary reference intake, it's kind of a value set to be adequate for like 97 to like 90% of healthy, um, healthy people, you could say, is 25 to 30 grams a day. Um, I can tell you that from my experience and from the research that we have, most, I can only speak for Americans because that's the research I've looked at, but most Americans don't get nearly enough. They get like maybe 10 to 15 grams a day. So I definitely think it's something that is overlooked. I don't know if there's just not enough information out there. 
Um, it's not necessarily hard to get it. Um, like, you know, whole grains, fruits, veggies, um, those are going to be your biggest sources. We do have a fortified foods now that are fortified with fiber. Mm -hmm. I just think that maybe there's not enough people, you know, getting enough whole grains, getting enough fruits and vegetables in their daily diet to meet that 25 to 30 grams. Um, there's no current research that conclusively says, you know, if I get 50 grams, am I better off than if I got 30? So I can't really speak to that because the research isn't clear on that right now. But 30 grams a day does seem to, you know, help to improve your cholesterol levels and <clears throat> can reduce your blood sugar levels as well. I'm really glad you brought that point of 50 versus 30 because someone like myself, like I used to not be able to get 30 or at least I didn't try to care to count. And then once I took a more plant-based approach, I was like, 30 is breakfast. Like I'm, I'm done with 30 mm -hmm. by, you know, by noon. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up about more not always being better um, really with anything. So, and I'm glad you brought the research because we don't, we don't try to talk about anything on here that's not research backed. So we appreciate mm -hmm. you mentioning that point. Of course, yeah, no problem. So I guess we'll, uh, we've, we've got a pretty good idea of like micro macronutrients. And I think another really hot topic, like just in diet and lifestyle is fad diets. Um, you hear about them all the time. Uh, what is it like South Beach diet? I don't know if that's a fad diet, but <laughs> Uh, you know, mm -hmm. diet or soup diet or whatever it is. Um, what do you think about them? I guess. And like, do they work? Is it a long-term solution for some people? Do you think it's a realistic diet or would you mm -hmm. more so kind of sway along the lines of find something that you can legitimately stick a lifestyle to and run with that? Yeah. So I am very against fad diets. Um, typically we refer to these as, you know, you're fast and dirty. They kind of are a trending way for people to be like, this is a dramatic result. Like I want this dramatic result and this, this diet that is trending right now has proved to give me this. So you have like a group of people that go and try that fad diet. Now, bad diets don't work. And if they did work, there wouldn't be like a new one every so often, you know? And what fad diets typically do is they cause, yes, some of them you'll have like a dramatic weight loss, but almost entirely that weight is regained. And when you cycle these fat diets, you're also cycling your weight. And when you cycle your weight, it's more of an indicator or predictor that you could develop a chronic disease. It's more detrimental to your health than your actual weight is. Um, so they're very problematic. And um, I don't know if I touched on this in the micronutrient part, but typically fad diets will have you cut out whole food groups and that very much so can lead to deficiencies, whether it's macro or micronutrients. Um, your fad diets are anything from, you know, keto is even a fad diet. You touched on one, Patrick, with like the South Beach diet. Anything that's like saying lose 10 pounds in like two weeks or like it's giving you some like ultimatum or a promise of a dramatic result, that's a fad diet. Yeah, I mean, some of that stuff I wasn't really aware of. I think at some point in time in people's life, like everybody tries it. When I was uh, 
think when I was playing baseball, like in my early twenties, I tried like the Atkins because mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, yeah, protein and vegetables. And I lost a lot of weight. And then as I incorporated, as I, when I stopped playing baseball and stopped working out as much, I would just incorporate, I was like, well, you know, I don't need this anymore. And I kind of like incorporated carbohydrates back in and I got mm-hmm. really puffy, really fat. Yeah. So, and that's, I mean, that's common. Like a lot of people don't necessarily know that like fad diets aren't the answer. So a lot of people do it. Yeah. And it's like when you go to the grocery store, I mean, you're sitting there in the checkout line and all the magazines or a lot of the magazines will like, see how this movie star lost 50 pounds in two weeks. And it's like, well, that can't be healthy. (laughs) I don't know. You know, yeah. but you see it and then, yeah. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that, like, you touched on magazines and stuff. Like, when you're seeing, like, ads for that different type of stuff or, like, food companies are getting on board, like, labeling things as, like, keto or Atkins friendly, I think it's important to remember that there is a diet industry and it's worth $72.5 billion. So $72.5 billion is being used to, like, throw these diet messages in your face and make it seem like, you know, your intuitive eating cues are wrong and you need to be eating this or you don't need to be eating that. And that's really hard. And it's really confusing for a lot of people too. Yeah. Cause there's, there's the food industry, then there's the, uh, the pharmaceutical industry and then the diet industry and they're all kind of just playing on each other. So I think the, uh, the common consumer is taking the brunt of that by not getting good information. Absolutely. Yeah. It's sad, honestly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're called fads for a reason and, you know, fad diets. And what I've always thought that like a diet should be more of a lifestyle. Like if you're, if you're struggling to do it and not enjoying it, then it's really not a sustainable diet. Um, and I've, I've done some, but nothing to a great degree, uh, or at least to the degree that I have with like a plant-based diet, because I just feel better doing it and it's kind of like it's kind of worked its way into an ethical thing it's something i just do now i don't think about it anymore um but when we look at certain diets like say the mediterranean diet which is focused on anti-inflammation uh you know in your opinion or you know any research that you've seen are there do you see benefits with these diets targeting anti-inflammation would you consider Mediterranean fad or more of a lifestyle? So the anti-inflammation thing, yes. We do know that there are foods and the research does show that there are foods that are better at reducing you know, chronic inflammation versus other foods. That's definitely true. So a lot of the research right now is around things like turmeric, for example, like a lot of people are big on turmeric, like we're saying that's an anti-inflammatory food. But I think it's important to remember that there's not enough research yet to show how much of these anti-inflammatory foods that we need to actually be effective, successful at reducing chronic inflammation. So I think as a general rule of thumb, it's good to include fruits and vegetables in your diet but I can't speak to like the amounts of how much turmeric you need every day, for instance, um, to have those anti-inflammatory effects because we just don't know that yet. Um, I 
think also it's important to hint on the fact that, you know, the amount of stress in, we have in our life, like also contributes to in a significant amount of inflammation. So if you're living a life where you're constantly stressed out, or like you have a lot of different stressors that are playing into your day, you're going to be in a constant inflammation state too. So no matter what you eat, even if you think you're eating these anti-inflammatory foods, if you're living a life that is full of stress, it's not going to matter because the food isn't going to work towards reducing the overall inflammation. That's a great point. That cortisol. That cortisol. <laughs> so, um, is there anything that you've seen effective? Like, I, I know that you deal with more, more with peds, but just in your experience or in your life or anything, like, is there, is there any type of, I guess, diet? I, I don't, I don't, I kind of don't really want to use the word diet here because it seems so short term, but is there some kind of lifestyle um, that you see that is effective that people can stick to or, and um, like, maybe just reduce or control a disease state? Yeah. So um, I have, so me and my business partner, we actually just created a business. So we are, while I'm doing the NICU stuff, we also are, have a nutrition counseling business and we focus on intuitive eating. So have you guys heard anything about intuitive eating yet? No, I'm not. Okay. So yeah, I'm not educated on that. So intuitive eating is kind of a lot of what I've gone through in this interview, but it's more so like trusting your body to make choices around food that are going to make you feel good in that moment without any influence from like diet culture or like fear of judgment from yourself or other people. It's, you know, honoring your hunger and fullness cues, um, learning more so about nutrition and why you may, why you may be like making the choices you are when it comes to nutrition. And what are some barriers you are having, let's say, if you want to eat more fruits and vegetables, but you don't? Like, what are the barriers for that? So kind of learning through that as opposed to here's a diet, here's a fad diet, or here's a meal plan that I'm going to give you. You do these things to achieve X, Y, and Z. In doing that, like, you're not learning anything about nutrition and you're not listening to your body so that's not sustainable in a way so intuitive eating is kind of like a reversal of all that stuff that we've been learning and that's been thrown in our face and really reconnecting with our bodies that's an interesting approach i like that yeah i i just hearing you kind of answer that question may um kind of sparked another question is like how do you feel um meal prepping could benefit someone um mm -hmm. I, I know that I meal prep. I know Steven meal preps and it does take time. Um, but how do you see that is the sacrifice of that time to make good meals, good nutritious meals that are portion controlled uh, for that person's body and what, what's comfortable for them. Um, do you think that that's a step someone could take uh, that's, that's realistic? Um, I know maybe it's not realistic for everyone. It is for me, but what do you think about that? And how do you think someone could benefit from that? Yeah, I definitely think that meal prepping can be done in definitely a beneficial way. Um, you know, the way we live now, it's always so busy and it's always so crazy. So if you can dedicate one day towards making sure that you're nourished during the week, 
I think that's great. Um, I think it's beneficial to look at it from a place of, okay, what can nourish me throughout the week? What am I feeling on this particular day? What do I think I'm going to be like in the mood for this week? If you think about it like that, instead of coming from it from a place of, okay, here's my different containers. Each needs to have 50 grams of protein, 200 grams of carbs, whatever it is. Like instead of looking at it as a numbers game, look at it as a, what is going to nourish me this week. And I think it can be really great and really helpful for people. Cool. Yeah. I mean, definitely something that I've learned and how much meal prepping has helped me is that on days that we're in school, there's some short days and there's some long days. And I know that on the shorter days, maybe I might have, you know, not as many calorie rich foods, but on our long days that we're there, you know, I plan on being there, you know, 7am to 7pm or a lot of studying going on, I'll pack a sweet potato, or I'll pack a little bit more carbohydrate, like more beans, more, um, more protein. And I kind of get my, my schedule daily schedule and prepare my mood, my, my food based on that. So kind of what you're saying, I think builds off that understand your schedule and how uh, eating can benefit what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. That in and of itself is intuitive eating right there. Yeah. Yeah. Meal prepping is not just throwing food together. Like it, it takes time to understand like what's going to sustain you throughout the day, what you enjoy, what you want fresh and what you don't mind having, you know, reheated. And it's kind of a, a painstaking process for someone who's definitely trying to get used to it because if you're used to, you know, delicious fast food and uh you know not cooking then if you're eating something you made three four days ago and it, it, it takes it takes time to get used to that um but when it, you talk about intuitive eating um i'm kind of curious because you focus more on foods that how you know how your body responds to food but you got you don't you and your partner you don't go into anything uh nutrigenomics or allergy testing no no, not specifically. No nutrigenomics, no allergy testing. I haven't really like delved into that yet. So I can't really speak to that. Okay. Uh, how about uh, portion control? I've always heard, you know, use smaller plates, you know, a, a more full small plate. Do you guys go into anything about that portion control or how your body responds to certain sizes of foods? Yeah, so overall, we don't come from a place of really promoting portion control. Like I said, like your body does a good deal of telling you how much of something it wants to see and recognizing when you feel full. Those things like may take some time to come to you, but it will come. Like portion control in and of itself, like if I tell you, you can only have half a cup of mashed potatoes but you want more than that, if you limit yourself, like later you're going to end up like craving something else that's going to give you still that like satisfaction of like a carb if that's what you're craving and you might end up like binging on something because you didn't listen to what your body was telling you per se. Okay. Yeah. Um, and how about when it comes to like the speed of eating? I know if you eat slower, you can listen to your body's responses better. Um, is there anything you can speak to on that? Yeah, so I definitely think that eating is, and nutrition, 
should be like mindful and there is definitely a large psychological component that goes along with it i think in recognizing the speed you're eating not for like weight control or anything but kind of taking a moment and using while you're eating as a time to like reflect and like really taste the food that you're tasting and the sensations that are coming with it i think that's awesome yeah yeah, sitting down for a meal, I've noticed in my experience and taking the time to eat has really helped rather than just like, I'm in a rush and I'm going to eat this while I'm walking to my next job or class or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it really helps prioritize that nutrition is important. You know, like how often are we like rushing to finish a meal to go do our next task or how often are we like on our phone and like eating at the same time, like not really paying attention to what we're doing. I love that it helps you just like slow down and like appreciate nutrition. Cool. Yeah, I'm kind of victim of that too. I, I, I'm known to scarf my food down. It's just something I've always done, but I do enjoy food, you know, the, the entire time. But uh, <laughs> so we're, we're curious, you know, you work in a, you know, a high, high stress environment, or at least to us, it may seem stressful to you, it may seem second nature by now, but you know, what's your favorite thing about being a dietitian and especially working in the, in the neonate section and what, what value do you get out of that career path? So with the neonates specific, so when I first became a dietitian, I was like, I don't want to go into clinical at all. I didn't want to go into clinical, didn't want to go into clinical, said I wasn't going into clinical. And then I got offered a job at Tampa General Hospital, like right as I passed my exam, I was a dietitian and the um, manager there reached out to me and was like, I have a job opening, do you want it? And so I took it. Um, I don't so much like adult dietetics the way that I have a love for neonatal dietitian like responsibilities. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's very, very rewarding. And nutrition in that population is very specific and it's very, very important. Whereas, you know, I think we've, we're at a point where dietitians struggle in an adult setting, specifically like an inpatient hospital, to get other providers to realize the importance of nutrition. Whereas in the neonatal unit, it's one of the most important things. So I think that makes a big difference. Um, I also think like I'm a math nerd. So like the amount of math I have to do, like my, my brain is just like, yep, you're drawn to this. So I think that that has something to do with it too. Um, but overall, like the care that you can give the little babies and how much nutrition is recognized as something that's like crucial there is really fulfilling. Well, we're glad you're embracing your math, your math nerd side. You know, <laughs> we, need, we need more people like that. Um, well, again, we appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate you being one of these people on the front line trying to make people healthier and be an advocate for these, uh, for these things that may, you know, be difficult to get uh, proper information on. And we appreciate you coming on the show. Everyone, give a big thank you to Samantha here. Well, wait one second. How, Sam, <laughs> sorry, Stephen. Yeah. Sam, if anybody sees this interview or wants to get a hold of you, partner for some some business is that up and running yet are you guys operating mm -hmm. and if so yes. they get a hold of you so um 
we so you can get a hold of me through my instagram i don't are you gonna link it in the you guys are gonna put this on it we'll link it right? yeah so yeah you can link my instagram um in our instagram i can send it to you patrick so we just okay. got started with it our llc just got approved so we're like in super beginning stages um but i can link our business instagram for you and then if anyone wants to personally reach out as of right now, just shoot me a message on Instagram. That would be the easiest way for sure. Cool. Yeah. We, um, we want people to be able to, to access the important resources. And I know that, you know, we've had clinical psychologists on, we've, we've had a few people on that have that clinical background that can definitely provide support. So uh, just as something that we do, you know, thank you for being on the show. And um, we would like if, if anybody wanted that access or needed, you know, some sort of reference, like to be able to reach out to you would be, you know, awesome. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's awesome. So, Thank you so much. I'm excited to see how it develops. I'm excited to see everything you guys um, make of it. So, yeah. Thank you. It should be cool. We're really excited about it. And it's, it's been a lot of fun and just all kind of, it's, it's been kind of crazy because, you know, we pivot, we've had to pivot so much, but that's just kind of listening to our audience to listen to what they want. And um, kind of, we came into it with an idea and, you that know, idea changed drastically. audience wants, yeah. It's, uh, we've met a lot of interesting people, especially just through interviews and like you said, through the audience. Um, but we look forward to having you back on. And, yeah. Uh, continuing this journey. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank you again. That was awesome. And um, I learned a lot, Stephen. I hope you learned a lot. And I hope everybody that watches it learns a lot. So absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we appreciate having you on. Guys, if you could like the video, follow us on Instagram, comment in the section, agree, disagree. What does men's health mean to you? Samantha, thank you again for joining the show. Everyone, this is Men's Health Unscripted. Thank you guys. Okay, uh, before signing off here, Patrick, uh, just being we, so I'll just loop back and edit it. Um, do the intro again, but do call, you know, dietitian, not nutritionist. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, plug, so I have some editing to do, especially with my, my pseudo sign off there at the end. Sorry. Uh, like I said, I'm still under COVID weather here right now, so I, my mind's a little fuzzy. Um, in, introduce her with some with some passion <laughs> dietitian and plug her company what's the what's the name of your new consulting firm it's graze saver grow i'll just i'll send it to you in an instagram message patrick graze saver grow yeah, i'll send it to you today we have a local dietitian and owner of new consulting firm, Ray Saver Grow, Samantha, yeah. And I'll edit that out. All right, it's like you the name and then Instagram message, Patrick. All right. Yeah, and we'll tag all that in the video too if you'd like us to. Okay, sounds good. Anything, yeah. Raise, save, or grow. Okay, I got gotcha. you.
All right, so just pretend you're launching it off here and we'll pause it and I'll edit it in. Do you guys need me to stay on? Uh, yes, please, just, just for two seconds. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're fine. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> All right, ready? What's going on guys? We're really excited to have registered dietitian, Sam Wally. She's local here in Tampa at TGH. And she's got a lot of great insightful information for you guys, just about diet, lifestyle, all kind of good stuff. And we can't wait to get this interview started. So without, uh, oh, also she, <laughs> Steven. I'm like watching Steven and he's just making faces at me. All right, last time. What's going on, guys? Um, thanks for joining us for this great interview. We have Sam Wally, registered dietitian at Tampa General Hospital here locally. She's going to talk about diet, exercise, nutrition, all kind of good stuff. She's also a proprietor with Graze, Savor, Grow. We're going to include that information in our bio. And we hope that you guys get a lot out of this interview. So thanks for, thanks for coming on the show, Sam. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for joining us. All right. There we go. Good. That's good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still learning the, the ropes, too. Um, yeah, no, I get it. All right. So I, I'll edit this up, and we'll, uh, we'll be in touch, okay? Okay, sounds yeah. good. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah, you thank much. you. Bye. Take it easy. Dumbass. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have some. I have some editing to do with it. Just cutting things out. So I'll try to make it not look choppy. Okay. Bye, right, homie. See you. See you. Feel better.